my visual identity was very based on their functional positioning and yours was based on aspiration mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. aspiration always wins. So I'll, I'll go with your positioning, Leslie. Oh my gosh, I win. That was lovely <laughs> positioning, Leslie. Thanks. Hey everyone, and welcome to Another Bite, the show where we rewatch some of the most innovative and most intriguing pitches from Shark Tank. I'm Ariel Boswell, and I'm joined today by the lovely Leslie Green. Lovely. Hello. And the just incredible John Dick. I'm also very lovely, just so everyone <laughs> listening I'm, understands I'm that. also incredible. I'm also incredible. <laughs> Leslie is yes, also incredible. Lovely and incredible. Today, we're diving into the beauty business, such as like a lipstick that empowers women all over the world, a glow recipe for the ultimate glow up and a natural option that tastes like perfume and sugar, according to Barbara. But before we get into all that, we got bills to pay. So as they say, a word from our sponsor. Long hours, small teams, uninspiring content. Marketing for a startup is hard work, but it doesn't have to be. HubSpot for Startups can help you grow your business without growing your stress. Their all-in-one platform connects your sales, marketing, and support all together. So you can increase leads, fast track deals, smooth out support, and join a platform that more than 190,000 top brands trust. Plus, they have a constantly evolving collection of resources to help startups scale. HubSpot also offers discounts for startups on their top rated customer platform and not the kinds of discounts that barely make a dent. I'm talking about meaningful savings up to 90%. So if you're ready to crush your marketing, look no further than HubSpot for startups. To see how much you can save, visit HubSpot.com slash startups. First up in the tank, we have Glow Recipe. Glow Recipe was brought to us in season seven, which was back in December of 2015. We have Sarah Lee and Christy Chang coming to the Sharks asking for $425,000 for a 10% equity, which comes out to a 4.25 million valuation. Glow Recipe is on a mission to make everyone's skin glow and look beautiful through Korean beauty products. Now, I don't know about you two, but I was expecting to see a full line of branded products. But what's interesting about Glow Recipe's model is that they're focused more around a consulting, curating, and offering multiple SKUs from Korean products, primarily to the United States. Yeah, this whole episode today is all about the beauty industry, which I think is really fun. And I, I thought a lot about the beauty industry. As you normally do. <laughs> like I do every day when I wake up. Self-care king, self-care king. put on my serums and my toners and all the things that I put on. <laughs> yes, we Hey, stand. I gotta take care of this skin. I gotta take, I gotta look good. I got called lovely at the start of this episode, if you recall. Wait, that was me. Or I was called wait. lovely. You were incredible. I, I called myself lovely, okay? No, but if you think just about this space and what's happened over the last few years, uh, it seems like there's only like a couple ways to win. So like basically, either they're incredible at distribution through social media, they're incredible at creating content for social media visually, they have an incredible like brand story with values or they've created an incredible brand experience. And the really tough thing about Glow Recipe is it doesn't actually feel like they have any of those things yet. Mm -hmm. It feels like they just have like the seed of an insight. I have one more that is why I think Ooh. that they will win. Okay, what's one more? do win. They really have this like customer first, community first 
perspective that may have been harder to see up front and really put a value on it or a KPI on it. But the relationships that they built, and I think this speaks to like you were talking about, I think those were great points about how do you win in the beauty industry. But specifically today, really thinking about how can you start a two-way conversation with these customers? And it's like this cycle, like, what do you want to see? Okay, we're going to implement that. And creating Mm -hmm. that cycle of conversation, because you look at really successful beauty brands like Huda Beauty, Glossier, they built communities who felt really invested in the products that were coming. And so I really think that two-way conversation, we talk about customer first all the time, is another point that I would add to your list of like how beauty brands can win. Mm-hmm. I like that. I think that's a really good addition, Leslie. Uh, and I could see maybe maybe that's breaking through for them. I didn't see it in the way they talked about their business. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it was just maybe the way they pitched it or or what. I, I actually think they they have a great insight it is very possible that they'll find a path to distribution. It just didn't feel like they had an angle on how to do it that was going to like break through and get a great return on on investment. Yeah, they were really going directly to the source and they were experts in it themselves at L'Oreal, I believe, and had a combined 20 years experience in the American beauty industry. And then they went and connected it to the Korean industry beauty and essentially existed as this this translator, this bridge between the two industries. And that really helped position them as experts. And I think that's something that's so interesting in this model is they really educated, brought new information and spent time building trust with their audience before they ever even started to think about building a product. I did a quick dive into some of the numbers of just how big the beauty industry is in Korea. So as of 2021, and this is according to Statista, North Asia makes up 35% of the global cosmetic market. And that total industry is about $571 billion in U.S. dollars. So it's definitely a very wow. lucrative industry. One of the things that was hard about this pitch was like, I thought it was a very interesting concept. And then I thought, well, how would I evaluate if it's a good business or not? Um, And they actually didn't get into a lot of details on the business. They gave us a little bit of information. But ultimately, I I, I pretty much decided if you were going to evaluate a company like this and the potential of it, it would basically boil down to them and their ability to actually Mm -hmm. be curators who can gain attention. It's basically like, are are they talented influencers or not? And this is where I started to have some trouble with it was that it doesn't seem like they've actually built that much audience yet. Like they're doing a decent amount of sales, they're doing a half million dollars in sales, but they have only a thousand people on their YouTube channel. I don't know on other social, but they weren't out there. Like if I was them approaching the sharks, I would have said, we are going to be the curators for K-Beauty and our whole focus and the reason you should fund us is that we are uniquely positioned to build a huge audience so that we can sell as much of it as possible. Yeah, that's like an amazing point. I think when you're in that position, you have to sell yourself because they are experts. But I, I felt that hesitancy from them to put themselves in that we are the best. We do know the the most about this. We will be the bridge. If you want to get into K-Beauty, you need to work with us. Yeah, uh, it would have been amazing if they'd walked in and said, Look at the success we've had on social. Look at the success we've had educating people on YouTube. We now want to get money so that we can actually like buy more product to sell more product and it will just flow right to the bottom line and you'll get a return on it. Yeah, it shows too kind of how branding yourself 
especially when you're an entrepreneur, can be an extra leg up in this process. You have to make people believe that you are the best in your industry, and that can help propel your own, your product, your idea, whatever you're working with. So jumping into the offers and negotiations on the table. So as a reminder, our two founders came in asking for 10%. We have Barbara coming in hot at 425K for 40% stake in the company. Kevin, despite having initial gut reactions of your valuations way too high, went in asking for 125K for a 50% stake, and then Robert coming in for the same amount of capital at a 25% stake. So they are projecting sales of $1 million this year. Uh, They don't disclose what their margins are. And that's pretty hard to justify, I think, in a curator business to get that sort of valuation um, Mm -hmm. because you don't have some like product moat or experience moat that you're you've built around yourself. So I'm not surprised the sharks all said that's a bullshit valuation (laughs) and went went much higher on a percentage basis. Uh, I would have done the same. Yeah, the responses are just great. It was like, I'm choking on this valuation. Your numbers are nuts. You should have come in cheaper. But I agree. It's because I think there was we just haven't seen this model. And I think maybe it caught them off guard a little bit. As we know, they negotiated down to, I believe it was 20% stake at the end of the day with Robert. So curious to know, would both of you invest in Glow Recipe? I didn't see what their unique angle was uh, other than the seed of an insight that feels very undefendable, which is just like we're going to tap into another market's beauty insights and bring them to the US. And for that reason, I'm out. But we look fantastic. We all look fantastic. All of us look absolutely amazing. (laughs) I think I would have been in. I trusted that this was a a unique angle that they understood better than I did. It was kind of one of those moments where I was like, I believe that you have this figured out. I'm excited to talk about what they did next. Well, Glow Recipe had a glow up. The company never finalized a deal with Robert, but they did somewhere even bigger which was Sephora. Glow Recipe's valuation has now skyrocketed to somewhere between 400 to 500 million with 100 million in annual sales. But I think the really important part that we have not talked about is they switched their model after this show. Mm. They went from curation to creation. And Uh. that is a huge part that I think maybe some of the listeners may not know about. And this is when I came back to that like community customer first idea. Yeah. They had just built really good relationships and they continued to help those other brands succeed and get into the market. And so that goes back to the idea of earning trust by educating your audience and then selling to them and that kind of inbound methodology of not just selling, selling, selling. Okay. And I, I just, this is such an interesting um, example of how a company can use their own content and their knowledge to then develop a product that's better than something they probably could have created in the beginning. It's just good for all the listeners to keep in mind, like the barrier to entry to actually create products is actually really low right now. Um, it is not complicated uh, to create products. Um, you know, the internet's really transformed that. And so if you can build a great brand, build great distribution around it, you can be really successful. Yeah, you gotta look up their cult favorite watermelon sleeping masks. I've used some face masks. I'm not, a, I'm not, abo- I'm not above a face mask. <laughs> Next up in the tank, we have 
the lip bar, a self-expressive, responsibly made cosmetic line focused specifically around lipstick of eccentric shades that allow for self-expression and creativity. Aired in season six, episode 18, we have Melissa Butler and Roscoe Spears asking for $125,000 for a 20% stake, which shakes out to a $625,000 valuation. As far as their numbers, they had 107,000 in year-to-date sales, which is pretty low considering that they're about two years old. And their cost per unit was $3 and sold for 20. What I thought was really cute was that their packaging comes in a martini glass, which I thought was just really gosh darn adorable to just see that like packaging. And I get what they were trying to go for as far as tying it into the bar theme. I'd move away from the cocktails. Here's the truth. Alcohol is poison and they are saying they're anti-poison. So yeah, let's you can't. The that is true. Yeah. Uh, I was filled with anger watching this segment. Anger. Uh, Mr. Oh, Wonderful. Okay. Yes. Stop being yeah. such a jerk, yeah. Mr. Wonderful. He sucked yes. this episode and I'm just going to say it. I don't care. There's no yeah. other way. The chances that this is a business are practically zero because you can't get share. If, if anybody thought you could sell purple or green lipstick, they do it. They already have the shelf space. They just add another color. And they would crush you like the colorful cockroaches you are. You only have so many minutes on Earth. Don't waste them trying to sell lipstick. I'm out. You just didn't get it. You just didn't get it, Mr. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Okay. It was so hard to watch. I was like, stop interrupting them. Yeah. When he made that comment about the lipstick, I was like, are you kidding me right now? That's a little too much. This company, it's checking a lot of the boxes that make me think it's going to be really successful. I was, I loved their pitch. I was really happy for them. They've Mm -hmm. got the brand value piece of it, which is all based around like organics and naturally sourced, like. You know, people don't want chemicals in the things that they're going to put on their body anymore. They had a unique angle that I thought was really tapped into what I observe younger generations being interested in, which is more self-expression, more color. So I don't, this just feels like they're going to take off. Yeah. One thing for me that I just, the disconnect was their visual branding (laughs) alongside their product. And I couldn't, once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. Because I just kept losing the like, mm-hmm. we're martini flavored, but we're colorful, but we're at a bar. And it, it's like the idea was right. The insights and the idea were right. They were almost, I think, a little bit ahead of this curve. I think yeah. there was a, a big shift circa 2016, 2017 in what consumers wanted when it came to beauty. I mean, you think about this is kind of like the height of Instagram, edited photos and people who are perfect. And you're starting to see this change and like, hey, we want more. We want people who look different. We want people that are expressing themselves. And like Instagram, it kind of hit its bubble of only putting perfection out there. And I think that they were ahead of the curve. And that was kind of what held some of the sharks back. Yeah. It seems like the sharks actually missed on all fronts on this one. They missed (laughs) that, which it's a major undercurrent in society right now is this rebellion against what Instagram did, which made us all feel like we had to be perfect every single day. Lori also like really shockingly missed on the idea that you could sell cosmetics and beauty through the internet. She was like, oh, well, you don't get the good colors, right? And I was like, isn't like the whole industry now based upon the idea that people literally, like right, literally literally put stuff on, you know, on a video, on a short form video yeah, on yeah. YouTube or on Instagram and people just buy it? Glossier proved that when yeah. it became one of the biggest beauty brands through Instagram and really like Instagram. their tactics were getting really up close, 
showing those videos of people putting on the Mm -hmm. product so people didn't have to have that question of like, oh, is this just a swatch on a white background? I mean, they do that kind of stuff, but you could see the skin texture. They made sure all their models had a wide variety of skin tones and you can sell makeup online, Lori. (laughs) Right. And they have the option now where you can upload your photo and then see what the color looks like before even purchasing the item. But I was also very surprised that Lori didn't jump on this being like, our brand marketing queen. I feel like she really could have lent in a lot of help um, here, especially with going back to the branding, the lift bar part. It felt like they were really trying to tie in the name and selling that bar experience as opposed to actually tying into the empowerment or like some of the value prop messaging that they were going out uh, to market with. I like the name and I loved when they brought up that little mobile lip bar and Mr. Wonderful hated it. I think <laughs> I, I love the lip van. Yeah, I that love would be the... cute outside of clubs before you go in, yes, like get your totally. makeup done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like lip bar to me really emulates you're going to go someplace, feel beautiful and, and developing that experience in person and making that really special. But then also really building out those those digital verticals so it's easy to buy and I guess easy to try. So those are some of the things that I was thinking about. Visual identity. I have a lot in my head about like number one, like so. They should definitely go show, don't tell. It kind of doesn't matter what you call them, actually. The things that I would lean into if I were them is I would lean into color, Mm -hmm. really vibrant colors and a real rainbow set of colors. And I would lean into nature. And I could really envision a lot of like plants and nature, but they're very colorful with the product Mm -hmm. featured in the middle. And I think that would actually pull through the message like so much more clearly than any name. I don't think that the name matters. And it's almost funny because I thought the exact opposite. Like I was like, I saw Mm -hmm. like really like city industrial, like stopping traffic with colors and like finding big like splashes of colors. But it's interesting because I think you may have been going there because that plays into the like the organics. And for me, I'm the organic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like I'm thinking like standing out in a crowd, like being able to feel confident amongst anybody anywhere. And so I think that really, you know, speaks to like when you're thinking about your marketing materials as a whole, what are you really trying to say? And I think when marketers are at that point, it's like there are so many things you can say and there's so many great things a lot of times about the brand. But what are the like two to three things that are the most important that need to come across in your your visual identity, your tone of voice. And so that's something that I think maybe the audience can take away from this is like, there's a lot you can say, but what are the most impactful things you can say and really leaning into that? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You know, I kind of, my visual identity was very based on their functional positioning and yours was based on aspiration mm-hmm. and uh, aspiration always wins. So <laughs> I'll, I'll go with your positioning, Leslie. Oh my gosh, I win. That was lovely <laughs> positioning, Leslie. Thanks. Yes, Lip Bar can reach out to you afterwards if they need more ideas for Do their marketing need help? and positioning. I think you're going to tell us. <laughs> so this was one of those deals, honestly, that I felt like I would have loved to see at least one shark come in and offer more equity because I just feel like this is a great product. They really have a strong mission as far as empowering women, being natural and organic, standing out among the crowd. Like They had such a great foundation for a platform. Really would have loved to see someone step up. But as we know, there were no offers or negotiations. I couldn't believe it. I know. I cannot yeah, believe I was really it. Shocked. I've seen the sharks make offers on some garbage products and some garbage entrepreneurs. Yeah. And these two people rocked. They were so mm-hmm. good. Yeah. I think the hardest moment was Kevin uh, calling their product clown makeup. Okay. So ridiculous. I wanted him to just like start painting clown on his face right there. There's this like really <laughs> funny TikTok trend where people were like, 
play something in the background or they'll tell a story like, oh, I thought this was going to happen. Then this happened. And they just like slowly start drawing lipstick on their face as like they're turning into a clown because they just made a fool of themselves. So like getting Mr. Wonderful to talk about his experience on Lip Bar while putting lipstick on his face is my ultimate goal. So Leslie and John, I think I feel like we're all kind of in the same boat here. Would we invest? I would invest. I go in with you guys to invest. Yeah. Let's I'm, all in. Go in. I'm making them an offer. Definitely. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's fund this business. All right. Well, after being rejected by all the sharks and verbally berated by <laughs> Mr. Not so wonderful, Not wonderful, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Lip Bar came out on top. Nowadays, you can find them at Target and Walmart for distribution, or you can visit their store in Detroit. Their annual revenue is now at $5 million. I love it. I love this so much. That's so great. And one thing that's funny is they took out a billboard. We love a petty marketing moment. I love a petty marketing moment. But they took out a billboard that literally said, Shark Tank told me to quit. 10 years and 2 million units sold. Thanks, Mr. Wonderful. And I'm like, yes, queens, let's go. Oh, that's awesome. They need to do the clown trend now with like Mr. Wonderful as talent. I I know. They beat the odds. They were like, yeah, we got told no. We got called just the worst names on television and then they still made it and so i love this success story yeah last up in the tank we have savvy naturals which is brought into the tank in season seven again back in 2015 by arguably one of the cutest husband and wife duos i've ever seen on shark tank what a romance i would fund i would fund the romance but not the business we all need a hugo (laughs) yes we all need a hugo so we have Deborah Saavedra and Hugo Saavedra, which they're both married couple for 35 years. They're actually a chef duo, so they love cooking and food. And Hugo really just adores Deborah. <laughs> they came in asking for $200,000 for a 10% equity, which comes out to a $2 million valuation. Savvy Naturals are essentially soaps and lotions made with food-grade ingredients. It's so pure that you can eat it. And it's so pure and sweet like my wife, to quote Hugo, as he then proceeded to feed her, spoon fed her some lotion from the jar, which wasn't the most appetizing, I will say, from a viewer perspective. Started but- to turn me off almost right away. <laughs> uh, oh, God, I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to eat my soap. I don't want to eat my soap. Even if I could, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't either. But it was cute. And it shows just how natural and organic the product was. You know, initial gut reactions from the shark. I think Barbara's favorite quote of mine was when she took a taste of it saying it tastes like perfume and sugar. It sounds terrible. Think, yeah, it's that sums up exactly why I would not believe in this business, actually. Really? They're only differentiated on the fact that they're basically food grade skincare products. And I don't think that that matters to consumers at all. I do not care if I could eat my soap, if I wanted to eat my soap. All I care about is that my soap cleans my body and isn't going to poison me. <laughs> Yeah, And also, too, in their story, talking about how they had already lost a significant share of their other business. I was like, maybe don't tell them because it was I don't know. I just kind of lost trust in them Mm -hmm. as business owners. And it was so hard because the whole time I built some trust for me, Leslie, because I was like, okay, Okay. yeah, you two went out there and did this and you built a successful business. You just gave away too much equity on it. Makes me Mm want to bet on you again, actually. Because like lessons to learn, like lots of entrepreneurs fail. 
That can is I part of the you entrepreneurial on that journey. When we get to the end of the business or end of the show and ask <laughs> if you would invest, can I quote you or no? Just because, just because the fact that they lost another business doesn't mean I like the business savvy naturals, which is <laughs> I don't, food grade. So I don't know. I think I lean in more towards like Leslie's side here when it comes to that. I just feel the minute that they put that out there, I feel like the sharks picked up on it and all of their offers. When you go into it, you had Barbara coming in with a fifty percent offer. Like I think they took advantage. Of that a little bit by showing it's all that possible cards. i think that was just yeah. based on the valuation mm. uh, that that's my personal take i think that the fact that they lost another business due to uh, giving away too much equity shouldn't be counted against them in fact hugo had one of the best lines in the whole episode he said we may not have been savvy then but we are savvy <laughs> yes. now like Go he was prepared hugo. for that all about he was so prepared to answer that question that he had a one-liner queued up it was great i think the reason that they got these offers for so much of the business and value the business so poorly is that their margins are really, really bad. So their margins from wholesale are like mm -hmm. 30 to 40%, which means they're probably like closer to 30%. And so this margin is before any any debt payments, any tax payments, and they have $400,000 of debt. So basically like they have no money that they're gonna make selling the way they sell. So for them to be successful and for a shark to want to invest, they have to believe that they can dramatically improve the margins of the business. And they could either do that by raising the price, which is probably pretty hard because I think the price is probably pretty controlled in, in a market like this, or by not going through wholesale, but actually going direct to consumer and believing that they can build a direct to consumer brand which is going to be really, really hard because the only way that beauty brands are doing that today is either by having a celebrity partner or by having some unique angle on visual identity that that takes off. Yeah, it's interesting to think like in their minds, like how big do you really want to take it? Because I think they could still be a successful business with maybe thinking a little bit smaller. A lot of the other beauty brands we've talked about have been thinking really, really big and global and there's something that's okay with saying, you know, we talk a lot about like, how big will it get? How much money can they make? And there's something to say about like entrepreneurs who are like, okay, with just having a sustainable model where they're making money and something that makes them, you know, yeah. happy. Yeah, and but maybe nobody, we should just be super clear. It is fine as a business owner if you want to run a quote hobby business that just gives off some cash and you don't want to grow massively. Mm -hmm. But then you cannot take investment because if you're taking yeah. investment from investors, they expect a return on that, mm -hmm. which means if they put $10 in, they want $100 mm -hmm. yeah. back. And so Very you true. have to grow if you're taking investment. Yes, yeah, yeah. Very good point. But if they just said, hey, we have enough money and we can just run this and you know, make enough money to live for the rest of our lives. Kudos to them. That's awesome. They can yeah. run a hobby business and be super happy. Yes. <laughs> Honestly, they've won. Like, let's just, like, they've Lori's they... like, your <laughs> love is just so strong. You have it all. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> so they came in originally asking for money for additional inventory, kind of being one of their main challenges. And I think to both of your points, if there was more of a direct to consumer kind of approach, if there was a very unique brand like positioning, that they wouldn't have to deal so much with the competition in the space. And that's ultimately what Mark and Lori kind of stepped out for. But Barbara did come in. I guess she was feeling the love. So she finally came down for 100K for 40% and another 100K to fund purchase orders, which I feel like it's rare for Barbara to offer anything specifically for like a line of credit as opposed to exchange for equity. I liked that style of offer because if they need capital to grow their business, she's basically creating a way for them to get that capital so they can directly fund the ability to do inventory. 
And then she's putting some money in to get a really meaningful portion of the business as well. So so it's a very interesting divide, I feel like, between the sharks for this pitch in particular. Kevin's big gripe about the valuation in the company, um, mentioning, you know, pay 25 multiple on soap. Robert says that's ridiculous. It's a one-year startup. Kevin doesn't believe that any shark will give 200K for 10%. And then you just have Mark and Barbara that are like, yeah, we're totally bought in. This is so cute. We're feeling the love. I, I think the problem for an investor and what Mr. Wonderful was trying to point out was that uh, at the margins that they have and the sales that they have, um, the way that a cap table works is that debt gets paid out before equity. Um, and so let's just say that this company got acquired for a million dollars or something like that. The first 400,000 of whatever it gets paid out on is going to debt. And so the the risk to an equity investor is just much, much higher because it's guaranteed that the first X hundred thousand dollars of profit are going to, to the debtors. So yeah. I think that is actually the challenge. And the reason that he said the company was ultimately worth zero dollars, I think, You've got to basically overcome the financials, which I think is kind of what Barbara did. She just kind of overcame the financials and was like, whatever. I believe in you. I love your love story. I believe in like a natural product and I'll just fund it. I don't think I get Barbara. She's just like some of the episodes. Everything's perfect. You're amazing. You're a business person. You've got this all figured out. I'm out. Then she's like, things are a little weird. You've got a good love story. I kind of like you, but like, I'm in. Let's go. And it's like, okay, I can't keep up. Well, so as we know, they finalized a deal with Barbara. Curious to know from both of you, given kind of the financial concerns with this business, would you invest in this company? I don't think I would. I would just given their history. I don't want to eat my Irish spring. Yeah, I just, yeah, I just don't have that. I don't. (laughs) feel compelled that they are going to really be able to stand out and really make a niche spot for themselves in a very, very saturated market, which goes back to all the other brands we've talked about Mm -hmm. is like, you have to do it. There's just too many. If I were Hugo and Deborah after this episode of Shark Tank, what I would have done is I would have opened a romance retreat where- (laughs) Stop. This is what I would have done. I would open a romance retreat where I cooked food for people and gave them food grade products to use that was just like hyper luxurious and I would charge a ton and just have people come and reinvigorate their love through the love of Hugo and Deborah. That's what I would do. Experiential marketing for Savvy Naturals. But I could see a lot of tech bros like buying into that and being like, yeah, we're going to go to Tahoe for the weekend or Russian River and like (laughs) get a chef to make our food and have this love ceremony. I totally can see it. It's actually really funny. I was thinking about that too and just, you know, kind of looking at their marketing, which Right now, it's, it, it does not stand out too much to me. If you go and look at their Instagram, I will safely say it's a little lackluster. They are trying to have commissions and affiliates, but it's just very like pictures you to assume to see in a magazine. And that's like such a huge stark difference between this brand and the other brands who are really getting up close. They're showing the product. They're showing how it feels. They are not showing how it tastes. But I was thinking too, like we were talking about giving advice. I was like, Hugo needs to become the face of this. Like (laughs) he's just so lovable. Like their story could really help build some equity in their Mm -hmm. brand. But instead, they're kind of posting photos that you would see in like a JCPenney magazine. Ouch. Yikes. (laughs) Yeah, it's not great. Doesn't get the less. His skin looked fantastic, by the way. 
It did. It did. Well, while Hugo may not be the face of Savvy Naturals, they are the still the savviest naturals around. So although the deal with Barbara never closed, you can find Savvy Naturals in a brick and mortar spot in California or direct to consumers online. And in love. And in love. Honestly, they've won. Today's episode is written and produced by Matthew Brown. If you like what you hear, even if you don't like what you hear, follow and subscribe to the show. But smashing that subscribe or follow button is really the most helpful thing a beautiful person like yourself can do for the show. Or send us free products. I mean, that's great. Also love a free trinket. Okay, we'll see you in the tank next week for another bite.